Listen to 88.3 FM WXOU, live from Rochester Hills, Michigan. This is Sports Day in the D with John Ott at the Oakland University campus. I'd like to welcome you guys in. First time that I'm going to be on the radio pre-recording a show. And hopefully as we go along, go live and possibly get a co-host. Letting you know that I'm a journalism alum from Oakland University, but I have a passion for radio as well. So in terms of working at the Oakland Press, I also like to talk about sports. So whether you guys are just beginning classes at Oakland University, a first time, just happen to be touring around the campus, or you're down in the Oakland Center, I want you guys to settle back in, and hopefully I'll entertain you as we go along here through the next hour and 15 minutes. And speaking of settling in, you first-time students are going to be going in, possibly up until the winter, to get that... Uh, First semester of class is up and out of the way, and it's going to be a long grind and a long marathon for you, but it's just beginning. And something that's just beginning, and now we finally get to talk about, which is exciting, no more preseason. Yes, it's the Detroit Lions. The Detroit Lions took on the St. Louis Rams on week one, and they've pulled out the victory. They went 27-23 to against the St. Louis Rams, won the game, and Matthew Stafford, using that two-minute drill with one minute left to go, scored the touchdown, giving it to Kevin Smith with 20 seconds to go off a reception, and the Lions took the lead, and in that last 20 seconds, they pulled out and won the game. An interesting note in this game, Matthew Stafford, despite that nice last drive at the end of the fourth quarter, was not sharp to start. He had three picks. So the Lions had three turnovers in this game, St. Louis Rams actually didn't have any. But one of the bright spots when you look at is a win. A win? You know, it is a win. And it's a good win. Any win is a good win in the NFL. The Lions turning it over three times, you'd think, just a couple of years ago. They have no chance in heck of winning the game. And now the Lions can come out, get a victory at home, start off on a good foot, and despite three turnovers, end up winning the game. Just a couple of years ago, the Lions went 0-16. It's just it's mind-boggling to think that the Lions have come this far already within the last couple of years. Last year, you guys know, they went 10-6. and They got killed by the New Orleans Saints, but they made it to the playoffs. They haven't made it to the playoffs since Barry Sanders was on the Detroit Lions. I mean, come on, it's been a long time. There's a lot of optimism in here for the Detroit Lions. And the one thing we can say now is we're rid of, rid of Matt Millen, but the one good thing that he has done, and this guy has continued to make an impact on the lines, is Calvin Johnson. It's kind of like Calvin Johnson and LeBron James in basketball. You knew the Cleveland Cavaliers weren't going to mess that one up. They were going to draft LeBron, and Matt Millen was going to take Calvin Johnson out of Virginia Tech. And he's made a huge impact. And now that Stafford has signed... He's good, he's healthy, his, the injuries are just behind him now. He can continue to just throw passes out to Calvin where only he can catch it, jump up, and hopefully bring the Lions into another playoff push. But the Lions are going to have to get it done on offense like they always do. And that's what we would think. But going into this first game against the St. Louis Rams, yes, I know they were 2-14 and 14 last year. You would think that this team's not very good, but I remind you, just because Sam Bradford was injured last season for the St. Louis Rams, you'd say that he took a step back. I, I wouldn't be so quick about that. He was injured. His rookie season, he had an incredible season. He was one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He had a great season. And his team wasn't that good around him. The only guy he can really throw to, who's really good, is uh, Danny Amendola, the tight end. But, I mean, they didn't have a lot of stuff to go around offensively in that passing game. But they did have the beast running back known as Steven Jackson. And I was really impressed about what the Lions did in this game. Despite those three turnovers, I take a lot of positives out of this game. They held Steven Jackson to 51, or my fault here, 53 yards on 21 attempts rushing. 53 yards for Steven Jackson? This is a guy that can average over 100 yards in every game. He's a beast. He can just keep plowing down the field and then just give them easy things. And, I mean, it can, maybe it just goes to show you that everybody says that football is more of a passing league now, but I guarantee you if the Lions 
had Javid Best back there and he was healthy, the Lions would be doing some more running. They'd be doing everything to balance out that offense so Stafford doesn't have to throw 37 times a game. So there's a lot of positives to take from this game and really excited to be a Lions fan and to start the season off 1-0. So if you want to call into the radio station here, WXOU, it's uh, 248-873-4252. We're talking about the Lions here right now within this first break. I'm going to mention the Tigers as well and possibly go into the Wolverines and Spartans within this hour and 15 minutes. But as we're talking lines here, say so take a lot of positives away. What do you guys take away from it? The other thing I mention is, here's, here's a specific stat line that you're going to get used from Matthew Stafford if you guys, if you guys want to know. 32 of 48, pretty good. 355 yards. He had those three picks. The one thing I take away from this too, is what was Adamic and Sue going to do this year? We all know about Adamic and Sue. He had his run-ins in the NFL. I'm not talking about disciplinary issues. I'm talking. I'm talking about. I'm not talking about drugs. I'm talking about the, some of the stuff that he's done on the field that he shouldn't be doing. That he knows he needs to clean up that attitude. The stomp in Green Bay. The occasional rough hits. I'm not telling the guy not to play with a sense of urgency, but he can't pick up Jay Cutler by his head and slam him down on the ground. You know that they watch the quarterbacks. The quarterback is so protected now in the football. You can't you can't do that. So it was interesting to see what Adamic and Sue would do today. And Adamic and Sue had a couple of sacks, pretty impressive. And in terms of that linebacking core, I was pretty happy with what Stephen Tulloch and Justin Durant did. These guys both combined for 15 tackles, big time for the Lions to come up with some defensive stops when they really needed it to make the St. Louis Rams punt. I mean, sometimes in that third quarter, the Lions and the Rams went punt for punt, but the the offense didn't show up because of those three interceptions of late, but the defense had held their own to allow Matthew Stafford to get back into the game and do what he needed to do. In terms of what I wanted to bring, I'm interested in what you guys want to know as we get the impressions for the Detroit Lions here. What do you think of Adamic and Sue? Do you think he's one of the guys that should be sticking around for the Lions? In terms of what I mean is Matthew Stafford and Calvin Johnson upwards of about $140 million total. And uh, Sue was one of those high draft picks to go along with that. And you would think if anything happens with Sue with this being his last year, he would be the odd man out. The, the Lions don't need to deal with this stuff in the locker room. Yes, he's a great player, but maybe he just had a really good rookie season. I still think he could be. he's a great player. He would be the odd man out. So Sue needs to get past all this stuff and just get to performing on the field. With these two sacks, I was pretty impressed. But I wanted to go back into one of these articles from GQ that Adamic and Sue was in about two, three weeks ago, and hopefully he could put this back. What I'm talking about is one of the ladies that went to go actually interview Adamic and Sue, who agreed to the interview, by the way, when she came into the building and tried to follow Sue around and everything, he didn't give her the time of day. And she pretty much tried to write a positive article about Adamic and Sue, but couldn't do so because he just, he never gave the time to talk, didn't give any insight or anything else. She pretty much had to work and work and work. Don't agree to something that you're going to be doing if you're not going to be there. And that's what I don't understand about Adamic and Sue with all of the off the field stuff. If, if he cannot perform on the field in this season, I think it's going to be time for Adamic and Sue to get his butt out of here, get get him out of Detroit. Because honestly, the Lions are so far up on these caps with all the top picks because that's what losing does. And the Lions need to take advantage of everything else that they can and just supply around that offense or do what they need to be able to do. And if Adamic and Sue doesn't perform on the field, then the Lions don't need him. I was glad to see that he got those two sacks in that game. Hopefully he can progress along into the season. The one stat I wanted to mention, too, before we go into break is the Lions running game. Javid Best looks like he's not going to be in for another seven games or so. Those concussion injuries had bothered him all of last year. You saw what he could do a taste last year when he demolished the Bears in that Monday Night Football game by running straight down 70 yards and filming getting the touchdown. Lions don't have that dynamic running back. So what they did last year was they got Kevin Smith, who was watching TV on the couch. 
he was pretty much out of football. Lions bring him in. And Kevin Smith is a good running back. He's been with the Lions before, but he's not very durable. So the Lions decided last year they're going to draft Mikel Deshore. Mikel Deshore tore his ACL. He was out all last year. And then a couple months before the season had started, he got busted by the police officer smoking pot. He tried to eat all of it before the, the police officer got there. More disciplinary issues that the Lions don't need. But the running back by committee of what the Lions had in this game, they rushed for 83 yards compared to the Rams, who have Steven Jackson, only rushed for 78. That's The Lions have done a good job. This running back by committee, I'm interested to see how the Lions will progress throughout the season because obviously we know they're a passing team. But that running committee is going to need to... Uh, do what they have to to slow down their defense, get them tired, so that way Stafford can pick apart with his surgical precision, throws to Calvin, Pettigrew, Burleson, all those guys that he needs to get to. What do you guys feel about the running game as well? Were you impressed with the fact that they were able to do more than the St. Louis Rams did with Steven Jackson? Because I was. One guy that I would like to mention is Jacoy Bell. He was the running back out of Wayne Strait, who worked as a security guard. He was pretty much the fourth back for the Lions, who did a pretty good job in the preseason. I don't know how much you take out of the preseason. Pretty good job in the preseason was the Lions' top rusher, and I think he's going to be one of these guys that comes in there and provides the Lions with what they need when they need critical yards, whether it be Mikel LaShore, who's more of a running power running guy, or Kevin Smith, mixed between the two, or Joint Bell to come in there and clean up the mess. We're going to progress into the first break, talking about the Lions winning the game 27-23. This is uh, John Out, Sports Day in the D, WXOU. We'll be right back. Welcome back into Sports Day in the D at WXOU. We're talking Lions, Rams. Lions win the game 27-23, and over the break I was asking you, what's your guys' impressions about the Lions, what did you think about the passing game, the running game? How did you think the defense played? What were your impressions in the game? Obviously, happy to get a win. What are the Lions, what do you think they can improve on? What do you want to see have happen? Everything else going into there, valid points about Adama and Sue, that offense, everything else. There's just a couple other impressions that I think that we need to mention that I'd like to go over. We'll go with the Lions again for another segment and then we'll split in between the Tigers because there's a lot of stuff to get there too. As far as the Lions goes, another one of these receivers that I thought would be pretty big for the Lions, and I he was last year, and I think he's going to continue to be this year, is uh, wide receiver Titus Young out of Boise. Now Titus Young in this game against the Rams, I don't know if you guys saw it or not, but when you're watching it live, Titus Young threw a headbutt to one of the players on the on the Rams. He was one of the guys in the offseason that got in trouble with uh, Louis Delmas. He was trying to start a fight with Louis Delmas, who was the Lions' safety. He in trouble with his own teammates, hitting the Rams guy in the head, the headbutt. All those other stuff that the Lions don't need. Talking about that with Titus Young, Adama Sue, the other stuff in the locker room. The Lions are trying to go forward, make the playoffs, and do what they need to do. We don't need to be worrying about Mikel Deshore, Titus Young, and Adama Sue. That's a running back, a receiver, and a guy on the defensive tackle side. It's a lot of stuff going on in the Detroit Lions locker room that doesn't need it. And I wonder if Jim Shorts has any... You know, anything to do with that because Jim Shorts is trying to bring a heavy hitting attitude, and maybe some of the stuff that he does in the locker room is carrying over to the types of players that are in that team. Maybe he's recruiting those kinds of guys. Because when I think about Matthew Stafford and Calvin Johnson, I think about guys that are top notch individuals, classy guys, everything else. Those are the two kinds of guys that you want leading your team. I don't want everybody else down in that locker room to spread negative stuff to affect Matthew Stafford and Calvin Johnson. I know that's not going to happen, probably overreacting on a lot of this stuff, but that's just something going forward that I want to see get cleaned up a little bit between Titus Young and Adama Sue. And as the Lions win this game, the next week they go 
to play against the San Francisco 49ers and Jim Harbaugh at that candlestick park in San Francisco. And the Lions were 5-0 and last season until they lost that first game against the San Francisco 49ers. The Dallas Cowboys were the first team to beat them last season and beating them in overtime as Tony Romo threw the touchdown pass, the broken rib and all, win that game. The Lions got beat down by the San Francisco 49ers. And there was a lot of stuff that was made after with Jim Schwartz and Jim Harbaugh with the uh, handshake gate. I think it's stupid. I don't I don't take anything away from that. All I want to see is the players play on the field. I don't want the coaches getting involved between what we think about what this game is going to be. And that's the only reason why the game is on Sunday is because ESPN's overhyped it, ABC's or NBC is overhyped it, everybody's overhyped it. They wanted to see Handshake Gig Part 2, and they put it on Sunday night at 8 o'clock on NBC. So that Sunday night football game primetime matchup is the Lions and the 49ers going into next week. I personally don't believe that the Lions can get away with turning the ball over three times against the 49ers and get the job done again. 49ers went out and demolished Green Bay in Week 1. They took them apart. Aaron Rodgers is one of the best quarterbacks in the league, and the 49ers didn't have any of that. 49ers got a lot of weapons. Patrick Willis, I don't know what you think of Michael Crabtree on the wide receiver part, but they do have Frank Gore, and Alex Smith had a good season of quarterback last year for the 49ers. I think that they can do a lot of damage against the Detroit Lions, and I don't expect them to win this game. I certainly don't expect them to go turn the ball over three times and win the game. The Lions need to do a lot of things to clean that up. But going forward, what do the Lions have right now to be able to take out the San Francisco 49ers. What are you thinking in that game going into week two? That's something else to just put forward. I don't want a damper on the win that the Lions had gotten against the St. Louis Rams, but I was impressed with some of the stuff that the Rams had done too. Uh, Janice Jenkins the corner with the interception doesn't really make a lot of those plays. Usually with the uh, back to the player, ends up picking off Stafford's pass. Stafford didn't look so solid in that game, but what he did do was engineer the touchdown at the end, and the Lions ended up getting the job done. How many qu- how many comebacks do you think the Lions are going to have this season? You say with the 49ers, I, don't, I said they don't think they're going to be able to come back. I don't see that happening as much this year either because I know the uh, defense is going to be prepared for Stafford to go to Calvin Johnson and try to get the job done that way. And I don't expect the Lions to, A, win as many of those comebacks or, B, get as many of those comebacks. I think they're they're going to try to really balance out the running game more this year because they got Mikel to shore. They got Kevin Smith now. And whether it's a running back by committee with Joy Bell and everything else, the Lions are going to try to predicate their attack to be more balanced so Stafford doesn't have to air it out all the time. I'm really happy with getting the win, but there was one other stat in here that I was really surprised the Lions did not have happen to them, and maybe they just played a clean game for once in their lives, or maybe it was the replacement refs that didn't notice the Lions doing anything bad, but... Did you know that the Lions only had three penalties in this game? When was the last time that the Lions only had three penalties? I don't even know if that's ever happened. Have the Lions ever had a game where they only had three penalties? You, the Lions are pretty much the most penalized team every year going into there. They're always 29th or 30th in the NFL in penalties, and the penalties always seem to come back and bite them and they lose the game. The Lions only give up three penalties. The Rams have eight penalties themselves. And it was just something different that I wasn't used to seeing from the Lions to make me think that, okay, maybe if you don't think that they're going to go 10-6, and six, you might think that they're going to go 8-8. Eight and eight. Maybe take a little bit of a step back this year because you don't know if, let's see, Matthew Stafford can do it again. I mean, that's maybe what the critics are saying about the Lions. But... If the Lions continue to play a game where they only get about two or three penalties, I, I know that's not going to happen. But I'm just, if it did, 
If the Lions went through every game only getting about two or three penalties, you can go ahead and put them at 10-6. and six. You can go ahead and put them at 11-5 and five in my book. Green Bay already lost to the 49ers. I wouldn't expect them to lose that game. Chicago Bears, uh, fortunately for them, got to play against the Miami Dolphins. And Brandon Marshall, looking like the beast that he is at the wide receiver position, Bears had shown you why they went out to go get him. He went and got three touchdowns himself, Brandon Marshall. And Matt Forte was a pretty good running back in his own right, punched one in. As the Lion or as the Bears, excuse me, had beaten the Dolphins by more than three touchdowns. Going forward, are the Lions going to be able to get around the Bears? That's the other question people have going into the season. Can the Lions beat the Bears? Are the Bears really that much better than the Lions? And there's a lot of people that say, I don't see it. But I'm going to tell you one thing from what I'm thinking. I I see it. I see the Bears beating up on the Lions. I don't see the Lions being better than the Packers. And I don't know if you guys know this, but Adrian Peterson did play in this week one game against what Minnesota played against. He did get two touchdowns, and it's just... It's a whole different, it's a tough division for the Lions to be in. And if you really think that they're going to go through and beat up on the Bears, beat up on the Packers, I got news for you. They could lose all four of those games. And that's where that step back would come from. You're already getting four losses into that division, and you're still only expecting them to win two more. Yeah, if they don't get a wild card spot, they're not getting into the playoffs. That's pretty much the Lions' way now, win this division. You have to get the wild card or there's no way you're going to be able to do anything. As far as what the Lions are going to do next week, I don't expect them to win this game. I expect them to go 1-1. One one. Going forward, Lions have done a good job in this game with the St. Louis Rams. They'll continue to be a pretty good team. That passing attack is going to be there. I don't expect Matthew Stafford to have three interceptions. If you guys want to call in and talk about the Detroit Lions, this is going to be the last time to do that on the break at WXOU. And going forward, hopefully we'll see the Lions just do what they need to do and take care of the ball on offense and air out that passing attack and mix in a few more of those runs. It's, that's all we really want to see. You know it's going to be more of the same. Just get a few more runs, clean up some of the stuff in the locker room, and let's just get down to business and play as hard as we can. And even if we have deficiencies in the secondary, we got injuries to Louis Delmas. Don't know what's going to be going on with everything else, with the new guys that they brought in or some injuries that are still in there in that secondary. But the Lions just do what they do. Everybody's going to be happy as long as Stafford and Johnson hook up and they stay healthy and stay away from that Madden curse. Coming up out of this second break, we're going to talk about the Detroit Tigers. Yes, they're in a uh, pivotal series against the Chicago White Sox. Hear about what I have to say about Jim Leland's rants about the fans and the state of the Detroit Tigers. You're listening to Sports in the D with John Ott at WXOU. Back to Sports Day in the D at WXOU. I'm John Ott. If you've been sticking with me throughout this pre-recorded show so far, you pretty much maybe have come to the conclusion that I am the worst football analyst you've ever heard. And you pretty much probably turned this off already. But let me tell you, going forward, I'm excited to be on the radio, and I want to get better at the NFL analysis, and I will do that as we progress every week as we listen here on WXOU at Sports Day in the D. Right now, if you want to call into Sports Day in the D, it's 248-575-4272. I'm changing the number every time because it's a pre-recorded show. Still trying to run it the same way with the breaks and everything. We are going to talk about the Detroit Tigers. Now the Detroit Tigers, they play in the AL Central. That's pretty fortunate for them. I'm talking about the Tigers, the White Sox, the Royals, the Twins, and the Cleveland Indians. That is a brutal, brutal division. And yet, the Lions are only two games out against the Chicago White Sox. This is the last four game series that the Tigers are going to have against the White Sox. And boy, do they pretty much need to split or take three out of four. Currently two games back. Tigers are nine and three against the White Sox this season. This is the one team that the Tigers have been able to beat up on. And fortunately for them, 
the White Sox is that first place team that they need to chase. Let's talk about what we saw in that Anaheim Angels series. Boy, was that pitiful. The Tigers had gotten swept. They're not hitting as a whole unit. Quite frankly, the pitching staff needs to go over to all those guys that are at bat and just beat the crap out of them because somebody has to wake these guys up. It can't just be Miguel Cabrera. It can't just be Prince Fielder. I know we signed Prince because of the injury to Victor Martinez. Mike Illich isn't going to be around for very much longer. He's an old guy. He wants to win now, and I clearly understand where he's coming from. And you know Miguel Cabrera and Prince Fielder are going to give you production. But these guys can't be the only guys that are going out and hitting. Tiger's got to be hitting as a whole unit. And I know Miguel Cabrera was definitely frustrated in that series. And he got thrown out for arguing balls and strikes. And the Tigers, once again, lose to any pitcher that's throwing an ERA above five. This time it was C.J. Wilson. In the series, they lost two games, 3-2, to two, and they lost 6-1. to one. But yet the White Sox because it's the AL Central and it's not very good at all, lose two out of three to the Kansas City Royals. So that leaves the Tigers two games back. And they really need to do some work going into this four-game series against the Tig- or against the White Sox. So what do you want to say about the AL Central? You think it's garbage. What are you guys thinking about the Tigers? Do you think that they're going to make it? Does it even matter if they get in the playoffs? Are they going to be able to do anything? And I hear all those questions. I hear what you're saying about it. But it's still a division. Somebody's got to win the division. And whoever gets in the playoffs from this division is most likely going to lose in the first round. But I'm going to throw some blasphemy at you. You're going to tell me I'm crazy. You're probably going to turn off the radio. But I want to throw some stuff at you. I want to keep you entertained. And keep the discussion going. I think as long as the Tigers get in, as long as they split, stay two games back against the Chicago White Sox, they got to go 2-2 two and two in this four-game series, got to split, I think they get in the playoffs, and I think that they can do some serious damage. And you're going to say, why the heck do you think that they're going to do some damage? Because that offense, good God, it hasn't shown up in a month. And I'm with you. The Tigers pitching staff is the saving grace, however, and that's why I think they have a chance to do something. Tigers pitching staff has given up just over two runs a game within the last month. That's about it. I would say 215 within the last month. <clears throat> Tigers offense, when they get in here, it's pretty much they're giving up, they're just scoring you one run, or they'll score you a bunch of runs when the pitching staff has an off night and they lose maybe 12-6. It's just how it's been. You look at that previous series before all of this nonsense when the White Sox got swept by the Royals. Tigers had a chance to do something. They're playing the Royals. They get swept by the Royals. And you know how they go out and lose? 8-7. Justin Verlander's out on the mound. Justin Verlander gives up seven runs in before, like five runs and two innings pitched and seven runs throughout the game. Lose 8-7. You'd think... The Tigers would win that game when Justin Verlander is on the mound scoring eight runs. Didn't happen. And then the other two games, it goes back to what I'm talking about. Tigers lose one nothing, get shut out by Bruce Chen with an ERA over five and a half, and two to one against Jeremy Guffrey, who has roughly the same numbers. So then here we are at this point after that. The Tigers played the White Sox at home. Sweep the White Sox at home because, yes, that's what they do. The only team that they can beat in the Central is the White Sox, and they were tied for about another day and a half. That's about all the Tigers have even been in the division, even when they had the lead. They only had the lead for a day and a half. That's about it. So now the Tigers finally go into the present now, need to get this split against the White Sox. The reason why I say that they can do something, Justin Verlander, I know he's not been solid. He's not been the AL... MVP, the Cy Young candidate that he was last season. Sometimes he looks really good. Sometimes he's really shaky. Still, as much as I get on Justin Verlander, and I don't really want to get started with that because I'm one of the only guys in the minority that doesn't trust Justin Verlander as much as some of the other pitchers. I know I'm crazy compared to everybody else. 
But I just look about and see what he's done in the playoffs. Sometimes he's been really good, and sometimes within that last year and in the playoffs, he'll get you in trouble just by throwing fastballs and going away from his curveball, going away from his changeup, and just kind of throwing as hard as he can to do what he needs to do. But going forward, the Tigers have that best pitching staff in that central, and they have a pitching staff, honestly, a starting pitching staff to be reckoned with going in to a playoff series. I mean, think about it. The way that the pitching staff is settled in now, within the starting five, it's Verlander with Rick Porcello, Anibal Sanchez, the trade from the Miami Marlins, then Doug Fister, and Max Scherzer is pitching fifth. That's nasty. You got Max Scherzer's got more strikeouts than Justin Verlander, and he's just been dealing like crazy. He's been the Tigers' best pitcher so far this season. So if you got the pitching staff set up that way, I think it's I think they're going to move it back to how it is where you have Verlander, Scherzer, Fister, Porcello, and maybe Anibal Sanchez five, or maybe switch Anibal Sanchez with Porcello going into the uh, playoffs, and then in the back end of that rotation. I think Joaquin Benoit has kind of uh, fixed out all the kinks when he, just about a month ago or so, he's pretty much coming out there and giving up a couple couple bombs every time. And Valverde, regardless of what you think about him, he was perfect last year in save opportunities, and he's still been pretty darn good this year. And I, the Tigers going forward have a great pitching staff. It's just really one I worry about. That lineup that the Tigers have is where we really run into some trouble. And before we go into the break, I want to talk about what Jim Leland had to say about the fans. I'm going to do this verbatim because I can't play the quote for you because I'm going to pretend I'm doing this live. That just Jim Leland said the, the fans pretty much don't know bleep about the lineups. And they, he doesn't give a bleep about what they think. And he was dropping the bleep was an F-bomb. He doesn't give an F about what the fans think. He doesn't give an F about the lineups and what they're saying. And... Quite frankly, I think Jim Leland is in the wrong in this part because Jim Leland's been a great manager. But think about where he's been. He's been in Pittsburgh with Barry Bonds, been in Florida with a young Miguel Cabrera and Edgar Renteria won a World Series. And then he's been in Colorado. This guy's got a couple World Series under his belt. But when you think about where he's been, he's in some small markets. And maybe he doesn't face the same kind of criticism of what the fans would have to say. He's going to hear about what the fans have to say in Detroit. This is a huge market. This is a baseball market that's been uh, starved for success. The Lions were pretty, or the Tigers, excuse me, were pretty much not relevant in the 90s and then going into the mid, up to the mid 2000s. Tigers roughly, I would say about 13 years of irrelevancy. So now the Tigers have been good, made it to the World Series in 06, losing to the Cardinals. The fans are passionate. It's a good party town. The fans show up in drones, about 42,000 every game since the Prince Fielder signing everything else. The fans want to see some success, and they don't want to see some crazy lineups that Leland has when he's tickled pink for Don Kelly or he's getting some burn in with Ryan Rayburn. the The Tigers... Tigers don't need that. They're in a pen- they're in a playoff chase, in a pennant chase. You know Ryan Rayburn, that White Sox game, or the first, that last game against the Angels, excuse me, batting second. He was batting second, okay? With all the stuff that's been going on with Brandon Inge, and he gets traded to the Oakland Athletics, and the fans either love or hate him, Brandon Inge was a lot better than Ryan Rayburn has been doing this season. This guy's hitting a fifty. That's all he's hitting. And you're batting him second in a pennant chase baseball game. In an AL Central, I need to win this to get in the playoffs baseball game. I don't think so. That's why the fans are getting on top of Jim Leland. If you're going to tell me you don't know bleep about anything, and we, you question whether what our knowledge is, sure as hell we're going to tell you that putting him in there is not going to do it. And you need to put the guys in that are going to be able to play every day. And real quickly, I'm going into what I would think about what the lineup needs to be. I think the only guy that's really had a great season, you know Cabrera and Fielder have been consistent, but really truly a spectacular season. Austin Jackson hitting over 300 against some pop. 
and solidifying that leadoff spot. So what I would do for that top nine, if Jim Leland, if you don't want to hear any indiscretions anymore, Austin Jackson in center, Omar Infante batting second, playing second, Miguel Cabrera batting third and playing third base, Prince Fielder batting fourth, playing first, Andy Dirks, and that fifth hole, right right field. And you know why I think Andy Dirks need to hit in that fifth hole? Because he's just one of these guys that doesn't try to do too much. He puts the ball in play, puts a good swing on, and tries to get the Tigers' offense on the board. Really think he should be batting fifth. And I would believe that Omar Infante is going to perk up at some point, stay in that second spot. Six, whether you like Delman Young in the field or not, if there's not a DH, he's got to be playing left field. But I bet Delman Young six. Johnny Peralta 7th in the shortstop hole, Alex Avila 8th catching, and Quinton Berry, I think this guy needs to get some more burn. The lines, or the, tig- the Tigers have used him as much as they possibly could, and the wheels fell off, and they gave him a few days, gave him enough rest. He's got to be back by now. The guy's seven for seven, 17 for 17 on stolen bases. Where the heck is he? The Tigers don't have a lot of speed, something that they could use. Quinton Berry needs to be playing in left field and batting nine. That's the lineup that the Tigers need to use every day. If Alex Avila needs a day off, put in Gerald Laird. If you need a sub substitute, Brennan Bosch for Delman Young for days off, or Avcio Garcia in there, go ahead and do it. But put him within that lineup. I don't want to see guys like Ryan Rayburn and Don Kelly batting anymore. Jim Leland, that's why you're not going to be getting any more com- comments from the media, from anybody else asking you questions, if you quit putting these guys in the lineup. You're not going to have to deal with it, and it's going to save you a few a few years on your age. When we come back in here, we're going to discuss a little bit more about the Tigers and that uh, AL Central schedule and really think about, are the Tigers, do they have enough to make it into the playoffs? Listen to Sports Day in the D with John Ott and WXOU. Welcome back to Sports Day in the D. This is John Ott, and we're talking Tigers, and we're talking righty-lefty matchups. <laughs> no, we're not talking righty-lefty matchups. Pretty much when you're coming back in from the break, was talking about how Jim Leland can pick a lineup, stick with it, and he's going to be done with questions from the media. Now I wanted to go ahead and talk about in this segment what the Tigers have left in that AL Central schedule and what the Tigers need to do after they split, hopefully, this series against the Chicago White Sox. So let's say this. Besides a three-game series with the Oakland A's, and then AL West, where you know the Texas Rangers are in, that's going to put the smackdown on the Tigers. Besides for that series, this is what the Tigers have left after the White Sox four that we just where that we're in now. You play the Indians for three, the Twins for three, the Royals for four, the Twins for three again, and you finish off the season with the Royals for three. It's not a very strong schedule at the end that the Tigers have to compete against. This is something that if the Tigers get that split, that's why I'm saying if they stay two games out, I really firmly believe that the Tigers will make it and win the AL Central to get into the playoffs because, let's be honest, that AL wild card is going to be dominated by the Baltimore Orioles and that second spot might end up falling to the Oakland Athletics or the Tampa Bay Rays, or even if the Yankees fall out of it and the Orioles get there, that's where those wild card spots are going to be at. The Tigers have no hope of getting that. They've got to win the AL Central if they're going to get into the playoffs. So when you look at that schedule, when you listen to that schedule, let's go over it again. Indians for three, Twins for three, Royals for four, Twins for three, and Royals for three. When you really think about that, as a Tigers fan, are you concerned? You know you shouldn't be concerned at all, but you know why you feel concerned, and you know why I'm expressing concern, and you know because if you've watched the Tigers in this season, they've not played very well against these teams. With the exception of the White Sox, before this four-game series, they were 9-3. and three. Tigers were really good against the White Sox. Now, against the Indians... The Tigers have a losing record. The Indians are 9-6 and six against the Tigers, with the Tigers having to play them for three more games. The Indians have a winning record against the Tigers in the L Central, and they're in the basement. 
Not a good, not a good thing for the Tigers. Tigers need to come out and win two out of three. They need to win every series in there. They can't. I don't care if they lose a game. Just win the series. Get it done. As far as the Twins and the Royals go, the Tigers only have a two-game edge, seven and five against the Twins. Not good enough. Got to beef that. Got to beef that up. And the Royals, they're only seven and four against the Royals. The Royal, the Tigers were seven and one against them, but that sweep from the last time that the Royals had played them moved it up to seven and four. Not good enough. Tigers need to do better against that. So what a better way to end the season, get these wins against these teams that you know they need to beat so they can get into the playoffs and possibly, you know what, I look, at, look at this as a blessing in disguise. If the Tigers play so poorly and only score one run against guys that have ERAs of over five and a half, they're going to see plenty of them in the, in the Twins in Minnesota. They're going to see Samuel Deduno again. I don't even know who that guy is, okay? His ERA is over seven. If you can only score a couple runs on him and he just like strays everything away, or you're going to see Bruce Chan on the Royals, or you're going to see Jeremy Guthrie, or you're going to see Luis Mendoza, guys that are not very good, and the Tigers don't play so well against them, maybe they can get the monkey off their back, play well against these pitchers that they don't pitch well, and then going forward into the playoffs, since they already do pretty well against teams that do pitch well, that's all they're going to see in the playoffs. I know it's weird thinking. I know it's crazy. But the Tigers have been so wildly inconsistent. How else am I supposed to think? How else do you think the fans are thinking? They're thinking the same freaking thing. So the other things I want to mention, besides for that lineup, was Delman Young and Quentin Berry. Okay? Or Delman Young, I know... He's not so great in the field. I know he plays left field. He's not so good in that spot. But in that series against the Royals, in which the Tigers have lost 8-7 in that first game, Delman Young hit a home run that maybe was a home run, wasn't a home run. And Dan Dickerson, 97-1 zone on his right. I had argued that from his his direction it was a home run. And guys like Pat Caputo and Mike Valenian, and from the other stuff that they'd seen, uh, Terry Foster said that it wasn't a home run. I I never got to see that actual replay, and I, I'm pretty sure from if, the, if everyone else had all said it from that one that it wasn't a home run. And my point is anyway, Delman Young had been hitting very well against that against the that team, and he has a tendency like a few players you know from sports across the global part is players get streaky and they get good, and when Jim Leland is moving guys around and around and around. It kind of ruins the rhythm that they were in, and they just don't play as well. And that's why Delman Young needs to be in that lineup when he can, because the tendency, like I said, if he doesn't play well in the field, he has a tendency to run into one and help the Tigers get springed up, just like Austin Jackson when he needs to do the good job that he's really done this season in that leadoff spot. And the other guy that I think about that could do that and provide that attack for the Tigers, because I know he did, when Austin Jackson was out for a month, was Quentin Berry. Now this guy, he's been in the minor leagues for about five to seven years. The only thing he really ever had that made him pretty good when he was in the minors was he's got speed to burn and speed to burn and speed to burn. That's, that's his three tools, speed, speed, and speed. He is quick as heck. When he gets on the base paths, he'll still second, he'll still third, He'll do what you need him to do. He'll play small ball. He'll get on base. I know he's not hitting as well as he was when he first came up. And that might be due to the fact that he's not getting as many reps. I do believe that. When players come in, they need to get their reps. I think we should have the same lineup going in. And that's how the Tigers can and everybody else can keep their consistency, their chemistry. They said Quentin Berry was 17-17 in stolen bases. He still hasn't been caught. Tigers don't have any speed. Tigers have locked themselves up for a poor defensive team when they got Prince Fielder and moved Cabrera over to third. God bless Cabrera. He hasn't said anything about having to play for moving to first and third. He's been good about it. Prince Fielder, you know he's going to play first. He's locked in that nine-year, $216 million deal. About four or five years into that, this guy's going to be the DH. We all know that. And what's going to happen when Victor Martinez comes back? What's, going to, what's he going to be able to contribute? And where will the Tigers be at that point? What will they need to do? Tigers aren't very good defensively. 
But when you think about Quinn Barry, when you think about Austin Jackson, the two guys that have speed to burn, two guys that could be table setters, and two guys that should steal a lot of bases. And the only knock I have on Austin Jackson, I think he's a fantastic player, he's having a fantastic season, is I would really like to see Austin run more. That's the only the only knock I have on Austin is I think he could steal more bases and provide more of a speed threat for this team that's certainly, certainly lacking. So as the Tigers are concerned, talk about that I think that they're going to get in. I think the AL Central is garbage. I think going forward the AL Central will be garbage. The Tigers need to work on having some speed. They're going to they're gonna continue to parade out that softball, beach ball lineup and try to hit home runs in Comerica Park where ho- home runs is not an area of where it's going to be. That's the White Sox and U.S. Cellular Field. Comerica is more of a doubles and triples alley. If the Tigers want to continue to put out that beach ball lineup, get some guys with speed in there, and see how we can progress next season. And as if we get into the playoffs this season, that pitching staff could be very good. Hopefully if Leland just sticks with the lineup and he does what he needs to do and staying with the lineup and not trying to play hunches, not trying to play lefty-righty matchups, because honestly, with the rest of the guys that are on this roster right now, when you think about Rayburn, when you think about Don Kelly, when you think about Gerald Laird, uh, I like what I've seen from Garcia when they've brought him up from AAA so far. He looks like a carbon copy of a, a young Miguel Cabrera. He looks like one. I'm not saying he is one, but he really, really looks like one. He's built like him. He's a tools guy, but he's still young. When you look at all those other guys on the bench, I don't think that they have what it takes to get it done on a consistent basis. Throwing in Ramon Santiago, I almost forgot about him there as well that the Tigers need to stick with this one lineup, keep this one lineup with the exception of rest and everything else, and stick with it. Get these games and ride your hot pitchers and hopefully get your hot pitchers some wins because, honestly, the Tigers, like I said, their ERA has only been about 215 on the ERA. They haven't got They have a losing record. How can they possibly have a losing record? I think that's one of the ways that the Tigers can go forward and they can get rid of it. And in this last segment coming up, I'm going to talk about Michigan. I'm going to make a mention about Michigan State. I don't think that there's a lot to go on in there because we know that they're really good. Michigan Wolverines have had a lot of problems so far in this season. They are 1-1. One one. We'll talk some Big Blue next on WXOU Sports Day in the D. Welcome back to Sports Day in the D at uh, 88.3 WXOU. Rochester Hills, Michigan, live from Oakland University. This is going to be the last segment here with you. John on here with you on Sports Day in the D. As we're going to discuss some college football now. Yes, I'm back with the uh, football analysis. I apologize. There's some college football now with the uh, Michigan Wolverines. And maybe I'll, make, I'll make a quick mention about the uh, Michigan State Spartans. The reason I'm not, th- I'm not uh, excluding them at all. I don't really think there's anything to say about Michigan State Spartans. They're really, really good. They beat Boise. They took out Central. They demolished Central. They haven't even given up an offensive touchdown in two games. They're the real deal, guys. This is going to be the best team in the Big Ten. What I want to say, in terms of what Michigan has done, you cannot be surprised about what's happened as they're 1-1 one one now on the season. They beat Air Force. They end up winning the game. 31-25, finishing it off, beating Air Force. And they started off in Jerry Jones Palace against Alabama. And somehow, some way, we said, I'm not really a huge football guy. I'm really going to progress for you guys as we go through in these pre-recorded shows and hopefully progress on a big and better things. But the lot, the Wolverines were ranked 8 in the off season, who does these rankings? Is it just part of the Big Ten in the preseason rankings? Is it some old guy in a bathrobe next to a giant supercomputer that does these rankings? Who does these rankings? How in the heck are the Wolverines ranked eighth out of all the teams in college football? I can tell you that the Wolverines, and I'm not. I'm not an alma mater of any of these schools. Like I said, I'm a, I'm an Oakland University guy. I want all of the Michigan teams to do well. My, my household 
is mostly Michigan, so I'm probably going to hear some things when I go home if anybody <laughs> is listening to me from the family side. I'm not bashing on Michigan, but there's not a lot of good things, a lot of solid players that Michigan really has to go forward to make an impact, especially to be ranked eight. And that's the point that I'm trying to come from. Michigan people can say whatever they want about Denard Robinson. Yeah, we know he's got some deficiencies. Yeah, he thinks he can try to beat Usain Bolt in a 50-yard dash, but when he gets to 100, he'd get him. But Shoelace has got that football speed. He can make some things happen. And a lot of you guys that pick up that Madden game love to know when you play those franchise modes that Denard Robinson's going to be one of the picks that's going to be in your in your draft after the season's over, and all of the guys that they try to make on Twitter, like Mark Schlereth and everybody on the ESPN football crew, they analyze and put Denard Robinson in as one of the best quarterbacks just because of his dynamic playmaking on speed. I know that's unrealistic, and I know that he's only going to be maybe a slot receiver or a running back or a special teams guy until he takes a hit. I don't know how many hits Denard can take, but I argue that Denard Robinson is the only reason that Michigan had won that football game against Air Force. There was a lot of problems as Michigan took that victory, 31-25 against Air Force, that I had seen from Michigan. I don't think that defense is very good. Last week against Alabama, they had lost one of their key guys on defense. He's out for the year. He tore his ACL. He's done. I'm not sure who he was. You guys can call in 555 555- 4272 at WXOU. If you can help me out with that, or if you want to talk some Michigan, Michigan State football, go right ahead. Love to have you on here and talk to you. A lot of problems that Michigan had on that defensive line. The one guy's out for the year. I don't see how Air Force scores 25 on Michigan if indeed they're ranked 8. That's a problem. That's why I think they're ranked too high. And I don't think that. 25 against Air Force looks good on the docket, especially when you're going to be playing other teams that actually have good running backs. Cody Getz tore up the Wolverines. He tore up the Wolverines bad. They're running this triple option, all these gimmicky college plays. You could say what you want about them. If it's effective, it's effective. It's not a pro-style offense of what they really run. It's not like the Wildcat or any of that. It's triple option. It's pacing. It's a lot of running. They ate up the Wolverines on a lot of that stuff. And when Michigan goes and plays Michigan State, when they play against uh, Bell, that running back in Michigan State, that's a complete stud. He's probably the best running back in the Big Ten. When they go up against Ohio State and Monty Ball, when the, I don't know if Wisconsin, I think Wisconsin has fallen off a little bit. I know Nebraska is still going to be a tough game for the Lions or the Wolverines. I'm sorry to have to deal with. What are they going to do against those running backs if Cody Getz was tearing up the Wolverines as they did? Cody Getz, this is just the passing, 10 for 19. 127 yards, averaging over six, six and a half yards on the passing. I know that they have rushing in here. Air Force had 290 yards on the ground. 290 yards! It's way too many for Michigan, way too many for Michigan to give up. It's not good. And what I really look at is going back to Denard Robinson. Had two monster runs in this game. Monster runs. A 79-yard run in the first quarter with 8.39 to go to get Michigan on the board. 7-0. And then 21-10 with a 58-yard run when Shoelace broke it and ran in for a touchdown. Regardless of you think of whether or not he can throw... You know the defense is not that great. It's been established. And I know it's Alabama. I don't know where Michigan fans are coming out and saying that we have a chance against Alabama. I know Fitzgerald Toussaint wasn't playing because of the suspension and all of that stuff on Brady Hoke. And guys are saying, oh, it's in his second season. He's got his players now. He's going to make an impact. There's a lot of improvement that they need to make. I don't think that they're going to have the same kind of season as everybody else 
It apparently picked them to because I, I just didn't see it. But if Denard Robinson, if he doesn't make those two gigantic runs, you can take out that 12 points, the 14 points from the extra points. Michigan loses that game. I know we said he can't throw and all of that, but he's dynamic in the open field. I believe he's the best playmaker that Michigan has. Say what you want about Fitz Toussaint. Say what you want about Jeremy Gallon, Roy Roundtree. I don't even know if those guys would be first first receivers on Michigan State or Ohio State or Nebraska or definitely not when you're going in forward and you're saying Alabama, Florida, all of that. It's just, it's just a different thing when you get into the SEC. Different kinds of levels, obviously, with the JUCO players and different kinds of admission processes and being able to get certain players. And they can get more five-star recruits because those five-star recruits, if Michigan would get one, they'd only be about three stars in Alabama. That's just the way that it works. We all know that. But if Denard Robinson's not on Michigan, how else do they get all these points? And if Devin Gardner really is ready to play that quarterback role for Michigan, I don't care if Denard Robinson's a senior. I don't care about what I've heard if that Rich Rod obviously is not there anymore and that Brady Hoke is the head coach, that Denard said he was going to leave if he wasn't the starter for the Michigan Wolverines. Honestly, I think he's the best thing they got because if Devin Gardner really was ready, I don't think Brady Hoke would have hesitated to play him. Devin Gardner has been used as a uh, a backup receiver in some of those things when Denard Robinson in this game had thrown to Devin Gardner for touchdowns. They're using him that way to try to utilize his speed. I think Denard Robinson is the best thing that Michigan has. Going into some other stats in this game, 12 for 21 on third downs for Air Force. More than half, I would say that's pretty good. Almost have the same amount of yards as Michigan does. Michigan to 4-22, Air Force 4-17. These guys couldn't stop each other on defense. And then one other thing that I see, <clears throat> Lions only, or Michigan only had one turnover in this game, an interception by Denard. Air Force didn't have any turnovers. <laughs> they played a pretty good game. In terms of uh, T.O.P., time of possession there, 35-22 for Air Force with only 24-38 for Michigan. Say Air Force played a pretty solid game. Did about as well as they could. Just came up short against Michigan. And some other numbers, fuzzy numbers to throw. Here it is. Uh, this is what I wanted to get to. Corey Getz. The, we already gave you the passing numbers. He had 26 carries for 130 yards. He averaged 5 yards a carry. He got 3 touchdowns in this game. Honestly, when I look at that, and we talk about Monty Ball, talk about Avion, Avion Bell and all that for Michigan State, I don't know what the Wolverines are going to do when they have to play against these guys. Not much for Fitz Toussaint to do after he came from this game. He only had 8 carries for 7 yards. And uh, quite frankly, Michigan rushing as a, the rest of them as a, as a team besides for Denard Robinson, was uh, minus 11. Denard had 20 carries for 218 yards. And uh, Daryl uh, Futchess, the uh, true tight end, the true freshman tight end for Michigan, excuse me, had four receptions for 106 yards, averaging over 26 and a half yards in those four uh, receptions. I don't know how good Futchess is. But I like I like what I saw from him. I think the tight ends, from what I've seen from the Lions, especially with Brandon Pettigrew, a lot of these guys, if you have a good tight end, can be a security blanket. I don't think he's specifically as big as a lot of the guys, obviously, that you would see in the uh, SEC and all that, which we know. But if Denard Robinson can find a security blanket, somebody to throw to to feel comfortable with, I would feel good with that because, you know, he's going to see a lot of these runs. So... Michigan in this game, they get the job done. They go 1-1 one and one on the season. They're going to have to play State. I don't see them doing very well against that team. State, they said they played against Boise. Boise, a couple times when in the last couple seasons where they've been undefeated and they haven't gotten 
a shot at that national championship, that shot at the national title, because they play on that blue field? No, that's not why. But it's just because the schedule is not enough, and you, when you get one of those teams in the SEC, like an Alabama, like a Florida, and occasionally like an Ohio State, which I don't know why, because when they get in the Big Ten against that team, they get spanked pretty good. But when you, when you get that opportunity like that, there's just no room for Boise State to get in. But don't dismiss what Michigan State did against Boise State. That's a big-time win for them. I mean, there's not teams that come in there and beat Boise, and Michigan took care of business. Yeah, and then Michigan State played Central in the next game, and I know it's Central, but they haven't even given up an offensive touchdown in these two games. Well, they scored over 40 points against Central in that game. Offense is dynamic. Andrew Maxwell, true freshman quarterback, I think is going to end up being pretty good from what I've seen. And that running back, especially Bell on... um, Michigan State, he looks like he's going to be the best guy in the Big Ten, and he's going to do some damage. And I'd expect Michigan State to do a lot of damage and possibly win that Big Ten. These guys are for real. They're ready. I think Michigan has a lot of work to do in terms of what they're going to do in that Big Ten. Maybe Brady Hoke's got to get some of his guys in there, and maybe Michigan fans will stop complaining when Denard Robinson in his final year of eligibility here at Michigan is... uh, out of the football field. Thank you for listening. This is John Ott on WXOU Sports Day in the D. Have a great night. I'll see you guys next week.